<laughs> oh my goodness. Um, everybody happy? Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy. It's good. Hey, if you want to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, we want to look at something here real quick. While you're doing that, I also want to let you know that uh, really big really big stuff going on here at the vineyard, uh, really big transitions. Uh, you guys probably read in the newspaper, uh, newspaper, the newsletter, or perhaps just heard on the beat that, uh, that our, our very own uh, associate pastor, Pastor Ray, is, is in the process of transitioning off staff. Did y'all get that? Uh, he'll be transitioning off his final Sunday. It'll be uh, October the 2nd. Uh, and on that Sunday, we're going to bring him and Kim up here, and we're going to pray for him and bless him and love him and all that. But uh, the thing I want the church to do is, uh, if Ray and Kim have like meant something to you, and by the way, if you've been here for more than a month, they should mean something to you, I really want to encourage you to go and speak your heart and your affection over them, okay? One of the tragedies of modern life, especially modern life in America, is that we oftentimes feel certain ways toward people, and we never express it until they die. You think I'm joking, right? You know, And, and that's one of the modern tragedies of life, is that we carry so much unspoken around. And we really need to go and, and speak our affection toward these people. Um, so it, it, whatever, whatever it is that we have here at the Vineyard, like probably 85% of it is because of P-Ray. And uh, that's just a real big deal. All right. Uh, you get everybody in uh, Ephesians? Kevin is. Kevin and I are. Um, the rest of you are like, Bible? What's that? <clears throat> We're just going to look at a verse here. We're going to look at Ephesians 3 through 6 this morning, but we're really just going to look at one main verse. Before I get into that, I also want to reiterate what Andrew said. We're going to begin a series next week here at the Vineyard on healing. I hope, I hope you'll try to make it. It's going to be probably at least six weeks long. It might be longer than that. And uh, just so you know, uh, that series that we start next week on healing, it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be like some sort of intellectual, esoteric series on healing it's going to be practical how to heal the sick and uh the oppressed and the demonized and uh, do ministry like jesus did ministry you guys ever read the gospels you can't turn a page without seeing jesus like you know heal the sick raise the dead kick the devil off of somebody and and that's just the model for what christian life is supposed to look like and uh, so we're going to open that up for about six weeks if that's cool with you guys sound fun and there'll be plenty of time for us to we're going to experiment Every time we do this at the vineyard, really wild stuff ends up happening. Every time we decide to experiment. So I'll encourage you to come back. All right, Ephesians uh, chapter 1. It's the opening of the book here. It's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to some people who are uh, at a church in a city called Ephesus. Hectic place, that place. Um, you should go back and read uh, Acts chapter 18 sometime this week, just to put it in context. Uh, that's, that's, that's where it talks about everything that Paul did in, in, this, in this city. And one of the things he did, uh, this is really cool, uh, the, the power of God began to move so much in Ephesus that, uh, that literally Paul could just take a handkerchief and they could run it across town and they could throw it on somebody and that person would get healed. That's kind of new, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and then not only that, but uh, Ephesus was like a center for witchcraft and, and uh, just demonic activity. And the people's hearts got so touched by the Lord that they one time decided they would bring all their occult books and all of their witchcraft books and then they would have a bonfire, and they end up burning like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of occult 
witchcraft books in the city because the power of God so radically shaped that town. Cool? So this is, this is the people, all right? So Paul says to them, he says, Hey, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We'll stop there just for a second. That's a good verse, right? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. And one of the things I want you to notice here is that, is that the rich spiritual blessing, it, it isn't promised to a person or an individual, but it's, po- it's promised to a corporate body. Y'all see that? So there's something about being richly blessed and having every spiritual blessing in Christ that only comes to the corporate us. It's not so much about the individual I. It's the first thing I want you to see. Verse 4, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Um, This is not going to be so much a message about predestination or anything like that, but one of the things I do want you to point, want you to notice here is this, is that to the extent that God's uh, foreknowledge is in action, to the extent that God uh, has a plan for how the outcomes are, uh, that is mostly concerned with uh, the, the formation of my own heart, the formation of my own mind, and the formation of my own life. Do you see that? For He chose us in Him to be what? Holy and blameless. I, I, this is one of the things I can tell you about predestination. A lot of times we have this concept that, that God knows everything and, uh, at all times and that He has meticulously uh, devised a plan. I don't believe that. I don't believe that He's meticulously devised a plan. I believe that He's that he's left broad swaths of life open for our own choice, and our own choices have meanings. But I do believe this, that it is in the heart of God, and he has predetermined already that his own sons and daughters, as the book of Romans says in chapter 8, verse 29, that he has predestined us to become sons, to be adopted as sons, to be formed. He has predestined us already to be holy and to be blameless. How we get there? Man, it's going to be this partnership, and that's part of what we're going to talk about this morning. And then in verse 5, he says, he's predestined us to be adopted as his sons. Again, family language. This is a, a word that the Lord's just speaking to our church right now. We're moving, somehow we're moving from community into family. And that's a really important distinction. Because you can leave community. You can, you can, you can up and leave community. When, you just, when, when we decide to stop agreeing, we can, we can break community. But whether you agree or not, you're never, you can never leave your family. You know? So he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus. And that's the word I want you to underline in your Bible this morning. That's the word we're going to look at for a few minutes. It's that word through. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given to us and the one he loves. What I want to talk to you about this morning is I want to talk to you about the gospel of through. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about the gospel of through. Because it is, um, this is something that, especially the American Western church, especially the church that we all grew up in, especially the American Western Southern church. Holla. Who, y'all grow up in the South? Yeah. This is, this is a really big deal. That, that word through, because it, it, underlines, um, it underlines how God works. 
And so this morning, I want to talk about uh, the gospel. I want to talk about salvation. I want to talk about the identity of Jesus. Uh, and I want to talk about the nature of how God works in the earth. Is that big enough for you guys? I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about salvation. I want to talk about the identity of Jesus. And I want to talk about the nature of how God works in the earth. And if we can squeeze that in the next 30 minutes, you guys have to put extra in the tithe, okay? Because I earned it. I'm just joking. But one of the things I want to get at this morning is it, it really is that big. Um, it really is that big. The gospel is really that big. And it's located this morning for us anyway in that one little word in, in, in verse 5, that word through. Because I want you to underline that word. I want you to highlight it. I want you to circle it. I want you to commit it to memory. I want you to memorize it. See, God has a way of working. And um, God has a way of working in the earth. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. You guys remember that? The key part of that whole verse is, I want you to pray like this, disciples. I want you to pray that it would be on the earth as it is in heaven. On the earth as it is in heaven. And in order for, in order for the earth to begin to um, align with heaven, in order for the earth to begin to interlock with heaven, in order for there to be that exchange where things that happen on the earth or those things that happen in heaven, in order for there to be that interplay, in order for God's government, His rule, we call it the kingdom of God around here. The kingdom of God is God's rule and it's His reign. In order for God's rule and reign to begin to have influence... Uh, especially the influence that, that Jesus died for, uh, that God has a certain way that he likes to work. And, that's, and, it's, and it comes through this word through. See, here's the deal. God has a, God's had a dream, and he's had a dream for who knows how long, as long as God was possibly able to dream. And, and God's dream was, um, in the beginning, it was uh, to create a world where, uh, where it wouldn't be just uh, animals and plants and beauty, but he planted people in the earth, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rule the planet. I want you to, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. I want you to rule and reign over it. And, and the way I want you to rule and reign over it is, I want, you to, I want you to take everything that you've ever learned from me. Adam and Eve would walk through the garden, and they would have interaction with God in the cool of the day. And he was basically saying, he was saying, I want you to take everything that you've ever learned from me about what rule is. I want you to take everything that you've ever learned from me about what governing is and being responsible and caring for. I want you to take all of that and I want you to begin to exercise that out and about. That was God's dream. Of course, you guys know the story. Adam and Eve sort of messed that up. And from the moment that they messed it up, God didn't change his dream. He never changed his dream. He, he, never, he never decided, you know what, this whole like people and creation thing that I, that I invested so much of my heart and energy into, it's not working out so well, so I'll just do the Jedi mind trick over it, you know? You know, he didn't press Control-Alt-Delete. He didn't give up on it, and he didn't say, even though he could if he wanted to because he's God and he's powerful, he didn't say, you know what, I'm just going to kill this whole creation dream and start over. No, what he did was he continued to dream the same dream that he had always dreamt, and, what, and, and by doing so, he sent his son not only to die, but, but, but more than that, he resurrected his son. And in the process of resurrecting his son, he began to resurrect 
his entire dream. That creation would be restored to its first order. That creation would, would, would begin to harmonize with heaven. That's, that's the dream of God. You know, God hasn't given up on any person or any plan. He hasn't given up on any part of creation. He's still dreaming that dream. And he's not, going, he's not coming. Uh, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't resurrect just so that we could go to heaven one day. He, uh, Jesus was resurrected so that heaven could come to earth and God's dream could be established right here. That's a really important distinction. And all of this, of course, is through Jesus. God's dream is, 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 that, he, is that he wants to set into motion a plan where he takes uh, rebellious men and women and he begins to make us holy and blameless. And by the way, everybody in here is even now at certain degrees of rebellious and holy and blameless. We're in that process. Some of us are absolutely rebellious. Some of us are a little further along. And he wants to take us and he wants to reform us from rebellious and he wants to pull us out of, uh, out of rebellion and, and, and all of that stuff. And he wants to pull us into, into his family. And he wants to adopt us as sons and make us holy and blameless. Anybody, of you, anybody in the room ever have like their rebellious years? You guys remember those? <laughs> Mark confesses that he does not remember his rebellious years. <laughs> it was that hectic. Yeah, everybody in the room, I mean, we've, we, we're all, we all go through that process. Or for some of us, it's more dramatic than it is for others of us. Some of us, it's real secret and hidden on the inside. For some of us, like me and Josh, we spent a year when we were in high school where we egged a guy's house every Friday night for a year. You know? Yeah, I, I ran over, I'll tell you the story. I ran over his, I ran over his dog in a big two-ton truck. It was, it was an accident. I ran over his dog and picked the dog up out of the road and take it over to his house. And uh, I, th- I was trying to be sweet. I didn't mean, I mean, this dog, tiny little dog just runs under the, the giant truck. It squashed it. And I'm, I'm squeamish. I don't like blood. So I was being extra sweet, you know, not to just leave the dog there. So I picked it up by its tail and I brought it over to the porch. <laughs> and he comes out and he sees it and he, he cusses, he just cusses at me for like forever. And I, and I thought, in my heart, I thought, okay. <laughs> I see you. Backed up, got in the truck. Every Friday night for a year, we egged his house. We bombed that place. We would go to, we would go to Kroger, and we would buy the 24-pack of eggs, you know. It, it wasn't odd at all. I mean, it wasn't odd at all. Can you imagine the scene? Like, five high school guys, each with, like, a couple dozen eggs in their hands, and every Friday night, just bomb, you know. Yeah, everyone's expressed their rebellion in a certain way. We egged this guy's house. And the good news is, is that Jesus has forgiven me. (laughs) Praise him. (laughs) Yeah. What I've come to learn is the good news is even this, that Jesus has also forgiven that guy. It took me longer to, to get that one. Some of us have expressed our rebellion in, you know, silly high school garden variety, running around egging people's homes. Others of us have, have expressed our rebel nature toward God by just running from Him and saying, God, you can't have that part of my life. You, can, you, can have, you, you have permission to 
stay over here, but you can't have that part of my life. And God continually pursues through his son. By the way, that's really good news. But the truth is, and the point I wanted to make is this, is that everybody in the room, you and me included, we've all been rebels at some point, and to a certain extent, maybe we still are. But God, in his, in his goodness, and I, I love what it says in Romans. It says, in Romans 5, 8, it says, For God demonstrates his love for us in this, that even while we were still sinners, even while we were rebels, even while I was egging homes from a bad heart, even, even all of that, like in, even the worst stuff that I'm too embarrassed to tell you about, because it would be really embarrassing, because you would change the way you think about me, even that stuff. That's the stuff that Jesus died for, and so he extends forgiveness. And so, but the bigger point is this, is that there's something in the heart of God, and he doesn't want to just, he doesn't want to just like, he doesn't want to just cover over our sin. It, it, that's nice, and I'm welcome, and I welcome that into my life, but it's actually something much, much bigger. He's got a much bigger plan than just to wipe a few sins away. He wants to resurrect everything. You know? So much bigger. We've reduced the gospel of the kingdom of God just to the gospel. And by the gospel, we just mean salvation, getting saved. And by salvation, we mean just not going to hell. And that's like one half of 1% of what the gospel actually is. So the good news is this morning is that God has always continued to plan and he's uh, always continued to work for the good. And while we run, he pursues. And he pursues all the way to becoming a man and suffering on a cross for our rebellion, which is really startling. That's that through Jesus Christ part. Through is such a big deal because it highlights how God works and it highlights the nature of the gospel. That word through there, it highlights how God works in the earth and it highlights the nature of the gospel. And this is what I want us to grab this morning. How does God work? Well, first off, it's the Sunday school answer. He works through Jesus. We can all get that. But it's bigger than just through Jesus. Everything that happens in the planet comes through partnership. Do we see that? So God has a plan, and he begins to execute his plan through partnership. And the partnership that he first works off of is through his own son. God begins to cooperate, if we can put it this way, within himself, and he begins to run and pursue rebellious people who are running the other way to the point of actually taking on human flesh. And it wasn't a mind trick. It wasn't an illusion. Jesus wasn't like kind of a person, but mostly God. That's, that's heresy. Jesus was all the way a person and all the way God at the same time. He was willing to, he was willing to put his chips on the table to that extent. And in doing so, he demonstrates for us how the gospel works in the earth. The gospel works in the earth through partnership. God has a plan. God has a dream. And somewhere along the way, people like you and I, it's seen clearest in Jesus, but people like you and I, in, the, in our quietest moments, our, our hearts begin to pick up on the still, small voice of the Lord. And when we begin to pick up on His still, small voice, one of the things we hear is, we hear Him whispering His plans and His good intention, not just to, not just to do a little thing, but to do a great thing, and in doing so, to reform and, reflect and re- resurrect every single thing in the earth. That's how God works. If, God, if it's going to happen, 
God isn't going to just simply uh, speak into the earth and then something magically happens. God is going to begin to speak and whisper his heart to people and he's looking for partnership. It's an old thing. We talk about it a lot here. But God works through partnership. If it's going to happen in the earth, it'll it'll come through partnership with God. And the thing I'd like you to notice here at the beginning is is that uh, so much of his redemption and his resurrection plan uh, comes first through Jesus. And it kind of has to, right? Kind of has to, because there's certain things that only Jesus can do, right? I mean, if we're, in our, if we're being honest, we, all, we can all kind of get a hold of that part. Like, only Jesus' blood could cleanse sin, right? I mean, you know what your blood's worth, right? I know what mine could probably accomplish. Not much. Uh, in, in fact... Before we are cleansed with Jesus' blood, you and I are part of the problem. But afterwards, we become part of the solution. Yeah, so there's certain things in certain parts of the plan of God that can only be accomplished by Jesus. No one else's blood was innocent. And so Jesus did those things which only Jesus could do. But then there's another part, and it just underlines the way God's the way God works. So when the kingdom comes, it comes by partnering with God. And Jesus is not only the unique solution, but here's the thing I want us to catch this morning. Jesus is the model for life. You feel me? Jesus isn't just the unique solution, but he's the model for life. The model for who? The model for you and I. So the things that we see Jesus about, the way in which we see Jesus partnering with his Father, Those are the ways in which God wants to whisper to every heart and to every hearing ear in the room and the ways in which he would like to use your life and my life and the ways that he would like to speak to your ear and to my ear to see his kingdom come in the earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is the model. See, Jesus shows what real life actually looks like. Jesus shows what God intends to do through partnership and co-laboring. Uh, If we could put up that passage we read earlier this morning in Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15. Working off this idea that Jesus is the model. See, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. See, we don't have a, we don't have a, our confidence isn't placed in a God who is completely unlike us. Our confidence is placed in a God who is somehow completely like us. And then look at John, chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. This is Jesus in action. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I've done to you? He's just washed their feet. He says, you called me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, my, my life is the model for all life. The way I do things is the way that everyone should do things. The way things happen in the earth are the way things I'm showing you right now. I'm showing you what it's like. And so Jesus isn't just the unique Son of God who could only do certain things. But He was more than that. He was the model. He's, he's demonstrating how heaven comes to earth. He's demonstrating how God's original dream gets resurrected. And he's demonstrating what your life and my life should look like. And 
And so because of all that, one of the things, the main thing I'd like to say this morning is this, is that the nature of the gospel isn't just something that happens to you. The nature of the gospel is something that should come through you. See, most of us in the room have lived with a concept that salvation is something that happened to me. That's a dead end. That's a blood clot. Salvation is something that happens through me. We've overly narrowed the gospel to just one individual moment when I come up and I stand in the front with a preacher and I say words that I may or may not know what they mean and then I walk out and perhaps my life has changed or perhaps it isn't. That's one half of 1% of what the gospel is. The gospel isn't just something that happened to me. The gospel is something that continues through me. And it continues through partnership. See, the fullness of the gospel isn't just something that magically came through Jesus to me. The fullness of the gospel is an experience of human healing, redemption, renewal, resurrection, and power and love that move through us into everyday life. See, here's the deal. When the gospel of the kingdom is thought of as something primarily for me, to me, and in me, as opposed to through me, I will fail to fully live aware of all that is around me. See, when my concept of the gospel is, is that the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is something that happens primarily to me, I will fail to live in the full, full awareness of everything around me. When, when, I, when I live with an awareness that the gospel is something that happens to me only, it's like, can you imagine this? It's like a man who lives his life either looking through a microscope or looking through a telescope. Either incredibly inward and always looking for what's wrong with me and deeper healing on the inside. Or it's a man who's grabbed a telescope and he sees, he sees life only in terms of what will one day happen. One day heaven will go there and it'll all be better. And in the meantime, both, both men, both the, the microscope man and both the telescope man, fail to see the real life that's happening around them all the time. That's what happens when we fail to, to, to live with an awareness that the gospel isn't just something that happened to me one time or another. But the gospel is something that should flow through me. Through me is, is, is holistic living. Through me is an awareness of the people who are around me. Through me is uh, an attentive ear to the still small voice of the Spirit. Through me is uh, there's a chance that something in my life could be dramatic for the people around me. See, the gospel of the kingdom is a through experience. It's like capillaries carrying precious blood to the outer extremities of life. When I live with, an, when I live with a worldview that says the gospel is primarily something that happened to me, I get a blood clot. When the blood of Jesus can go no further than my own life, I become a blood clot in his body. And eventually, it will hemorrhage. Every one of us has been placed in his body, and we're called, to be, we're called to be leading arteries and capillaries. We're called to take the effects of the blood of Jesus and allow them to run through. The gospel of the kingdom is a through experience.
See, salvation, which is really just God's order, breaking into the moment, salvation is less and less about heaven and hell someday, but rather, rather about <laughs> heaven and hell right here today. See, a lot of us have lived with this awareness that I've said yes to Jesus so I can avoid hell someday. How many of you can be honest enough to say there's a really good chance that hell might be today? Hell might be next Thursday. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody in here awake? Holla. No high kicks this week. Yeah, heaven and hell, eternity. Etern- when, does, when does eternal life start? It's kind of important. Your answer will thoroughly shape the next 70 years of your life. See, the gospel of the kingdom isn't a someday experience. It's a two-day experience. And by the way, when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's almost never talking about the future. Shocking, I know. He's always talking about today. So salvation is when God's rule has come to me and it's allowed to move through me. See, here's the deal. To the extent I've been healed is the extent to which I'm anointed and released to be a healer. You know, some of us think, well, the gospel is primarily something that happens to me. I I needed healing from sin. I'm a really wicked person and that's the only awareness that we live with. To the extent that I only live with an awareness of my own wickedness and my need for God's love, I I divorce myself from the ability to realize that I have actually been thoroughly saved and a new kind of grace has entered my life. Not just grace to forgive me, but grace to empower me to live a different kind of life so that I could extend the flow of His blood into new places. That's a totally different thing. Come on. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. See, I've been healed so that I can heal, and I've been set free so that I can liberate. See, every place that the Lord has healed you is an area where you've been totally equipped and released to go and release healing. Every place that you've been freed, every place that you've been freed is a place where you're now anointed, equipped, and, and, and licensed to go and liberate. You know, um, there, there's something about the things that, that Jesus' blood and the things that Jesus' grace has freed us from that really does allow us to go and new th- do a new go and do new things. That was complicated. No. Yeah. It's why alcoholics are really really great at setting other alcoholics free from alcohol. It's why people who've Here's the deal. It's like you want to get set free from a porn addiction? Go hang around some people who've been addicted to porn and been set free. I mean, it can work in other avenues. I'm just telling you the best avenues are are those places where it's, it's come to a person and now it's beginning to move out from a person. You know? You got major daddy issues? Well, you know, go find somebody who's had a daddy who was really bad and got set free from it all and then watch the Lord begin to move through them onto you. The gospel is not primarily a to-me event. It's an experience of through-me. And not only that, but God has been incredibly gracious and good to every single person in the room. Something has come to you. Like you might think, well, I'm just the most God-forsaken person ever. He, I might be saved, but I don't know, you know. I know that other people are. 
And here's the deal, and that's one of those things that every person in the room will eventually have to deal with, is, that, uh, is, this, is this feeling that God is more interested in other people than he is me. You know? Not true. We've got to get out of that one, whatever that is. But the goodness of God has come to every single person in here. He has touched every person in here. Anyone who's even changed their heart or mind one degree toward Jesus, he has run to it. He will always run to a person who turns. You don't even have to turn all the way around. You can just turn a quarter of the way around and he will meet you. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. That sounds, I don't know. I, repentance means turn around. I'm just here to tell you, nobody in the room's ever repented perfect. People's minds just got renewed. Just <laughs> I don't know about that, Pastor. I just know that in the Greek that repentance means to turn all the way around. I just you know, I don't know what you're preaching. It sounds heretical. You can email me later. <laughs> no, but the truth is, I'm just poking fun, but the truth is that none of us have ever perfectly turned our heart toward the Lord. At the beginning, you just, you just, you just woke up one morning when you began to repent, and you just turned a little bit, and the Lord came and touched you. That's really what happened. You turned, you turned one degree, and He started touching you, and that, that touch empowered you to turn more. And the rest of your life is, is the progressive turning around. And so the gospel isn't just something that happens to me. It begins to move through me. We have to have a mindset change here. It's how he worked through his own son. It's how he wants to work through us. So the, to the extent I've been healed, I've been empowered to go and heal. The gospel of the kingdom is a through me experience. And by through me, what do I mean? Well, this is what I mean. God wants to move through you into your sphere of influence. And every single person in the room has a sphere of, you, of influence. And it's a unique, um, uh, tailored to you sphere. No one else in the room has what you have. You have a unique set of circumstances. You have a unique history with Jesus. And you have a unique connection and placement in, in community and with people, and no one else on the planet has exactly what you have. And God actually, if, you, if I can put it this way, it's going to flip some people out, but God actually needs the doors that you can only open to open. So he works through me. See, I've got a family. I've got a family that no one else in the room has. And not only that, but I've got a family that no one else in the room has the position in my family ha that I have and because of that I'm able to be used by God in some areas even within my own family that other people in my family can't move in you have a sphere of influence every single person in here I mean just the people that are collected in the room right now we have people who are uh, in education we have people who work in factories we have people who are like really smart and write books we've got people we've got all these different people you know what I'm saying all these different segments of society and the only way that God can begin to move into those segments of society is for the people in that society to realize that the gospel isn't a to-me experience, it's a through-me experience. And the first place that the gospel can run is through your, your sphere of influence. Like a lot of times we think, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to work for God and I'm going to move across the planet. Well, that's cool, but dude, like, do it at home, right? Come on. It helps. 
So even now, as God begins to reform our heart about what the gospel of the kingdom is all about, God will even, even now begin to highlight situations in your family, situations at work, situations in your neighborhood, problems here and there that you're connected to. And what he's whispering to you is he's whispering, I would like you to be the solution rather than more of the problem. Because I've already begun to do a healing work in you, and that healing work empowers you to go and be healing. Every single person in here is an outpost of the kingdom. See, God blesses people in order to see his heart for creation expand. Everyone everyone in the room was born with a desire uh, for approval, and everyone in the room was born with a desire uh, for affection, and everyone in the room was born with a desire uh, to be blessed. Okay? You, you just are, you know, and some of, us have, some of us have bought into theologies that say humility is to, you know, run away from blessing. Well, you can't take that, brother. It's just not humble, you know. It's not true at all. Where's this voice coming from? I don't know. I don't know. I was just sitting here thinking that. Yeah. The really ironic part is I don't know where it came from either. I kind of like it, though. It's my alter ego. <laughs> but either way, dang, what was I talking about? <laughs> blessing. Thank you, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, everybody in here has a desire to be blessed. We want to be blessed. And not only that, but you need to be blessed. You, you need blessing on your life. You won't, you won't get to where you need to go, and you won't get to what God has for you without some help from above. Both from him, and by above, I mean both from him and people who are just further along than you. You need, you need a champion and you need blessed, bottom line, every single person in the room. And we're born with that and we know it instinctually. And when we don't get it, it oh man, it makes us crazy. Like really, I mean like people bug out when they, when, they're, when they haven't been blessed. When you haven't received your father's blessing, it'll bug you out. And that's not really what I want to talk about this morning, but I, I really just want to highlight the fact that, that we need blessing in our life. But the, the perversion begins when, when this begins to happen. Uh, m- my desire and my need for blessing, when it, becomes the, when it becomes the only thing I see, and I can't see any further purpose in God other than me getting more blessed. So I basically become like a parasite tick in the kingdom of God, and I just say, feed me, you know, and I get bigger and bigger. That was another voice. I've never used that voice. You guys remember Abraham? God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, leave your family. I'm going to give give you a new family. In fact, I'm going to bless you more than anyone's ever been blessed. And if people will bless you, they'll get blessed. And the reason I'm going to bless you so much, Abraham, is because I'm going to bless the whole world, what? Through you. It's a picture of the kingdom of heaven right there. God wants to bless people because he loves you and because he really does have genuine affection for you and he really does want to heal and set you free. But that's only like the beginning stage of that rocket. He wants to bless you so that your life can be a blessing into the sphere that he's placed you in, into the place that you were born, into the neighborhood, into the school, into the life that he's caused you to live. So in that regard, salvation is actually much bigger, much bigger than me. See, here's the deal. If the end game, if the end game, and the only, um, if the end game is... Uh, is a me-focused life. If the end game is uh, the kingdom of heaven 
is mostly something that happens to me. There are really only a couple possible outcomes, and the outcomes are boredom and fatigue. Boredom. Here's what I mean by that. If the end game of, of the gospel of the kingdom, if it's mostly something that just happens to me, it's boredom, because how many of you have ever experienced this? Well, I got saved, now what's next? I mean, I came down, I shook the pastor's hand. What, what do we do now, right? I got dunked in water. By the way, I believe in all of that. I love it. But I'm just saying, what's next, right? And without, without a gospel of the kingdom that allows there to be a next, the only possible solution is boredom. And it's the reason that so many people fall off the wagon in the church. Because the only thing we've told them is, just get saved. Well, I did that 50 years ago. It's all I've heard for 50 years on Sunday morning is get saved. What's next? Like you'll, you'll put up with that for a few years, but eventually, uh, eventually uh, the part of your heart that wants to go and conquer something will get bored, and when that gets bored, you'll go and look for something else that offers you something next. It's the reason that so many people come into the church, get radically touched, and stay for a while, but don't stick around. Boredom, I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. The other possible outcome is fatigue. And the reason that fatigue is a a possible outcome is because we begin to orient our life around experiencing more and more of the kingdom's blessing for myself. And how many of you realize that that is a fatiguing thing? When I begin to have to live life in order to get more and more blessed, in order to feed my need for affirmation, when I begin to cycle my life around my need for affirmation, my need to be blessed, my need, my need, my need, it, it just wears you out. It is, so, it, is, it is so exhausting. And the reason it's so exhausting is because the law of diminishing returns kicks in. You know, you got touched, that felt great. Now, what does it take to get that same feeling? Well, it takes a bigger touch. It's like, it's like doing cocaine. The first time's the best. That's what I've heard. I mean, Chris, you liked that, didn't you? That's good. Everyone's like, Pastor, the vineyard does cocaine. Not really. I do coffee. But when the other side begins to take place, when all that comes to me becomes all that moves through me, increase is available to me and everyone else. That's a really big deal. When everything that comes to me becomes what's possible to move through me, increase becomes mine and everyone else's. John Wimber used to say, you don't get to keep anything you're not willing to give away. It's so true. You can only keep what you give away. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, freely you've received what? Freely give. I'm telling you, that's salvation right there. People don't think of it in those terms, but Matthew chapter 10, the context even tells us that it is. Matthew chapter 10 is where Jesus sends his 12 out into the cities to do what? He says, I want you to go preach the gospel of the kingdom. Preach to the poor. I want you to kick out devils. I want you to heal the sick. And I want you to raise up dead bodies. And then he tells them what? Freely you've received, freely give. You cannot divorce the through me part of the gospel. The gospel is not primarily something that came to you it is something that came to you and now wants to move through you. 
Some of us are in the room right now. We're just, I mean, we got our minds are wrecked. We're like, some of us realize, even in the room right now, that I have been living a dissatisfied, bored, disaffected, numb life. I'm telling you, the numb life is the me life. Like where you can't even feel anymore, like nothing you can't feel. You're just numb. Part of that is because, uh, is because we've, we've soaked up what, what God has actually given us to give away. It'll make you numb. And the reason I know it'll make you numb is because I've been there and I've done that. I know firsthand. Not only that, but this flow and this movement is evidence that we've actually become a part of God's family. In verse 5 it says, In love He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus. Um, this, that little phrase there, adopted as sons. You know, if we've been adopted as sons into family of Jesus, into God's family, what that means is, is that God really is not my joke father, He's my real father. And Jesus isn't my joke brother. He's my real brother. He's not my pretend brother. He's my real brother. And what this means is is we've been accepted into a family that has a certain kind of way and a certain kind of order and a certain business that it's about. You know? You know know why uh, preachers always have sons that become preachers? Because preaching is the family business. You know? You know why, why uh, a dad who's an engineer will have a kid who's an engineer? Because math and engineering is the family business. It's true. And so when we begin to move away from to me, and when we begin to move towards through me, what we've actually done is we've, we've validated that we've actually become a part of the family of God where it's always through, it's always increase, and it's always giving. Radical generosity is just one of the biggest signs of the kingdom. And even here at the vineyard, our family, uh, our family has a vibe. Our family has a vibe. You know, there's a, this is how the church is put together anyway. Um, not just the vineyard, but all churches. Uh, so a church has its universe, and that's like all the people who like kind of come sometimes, you know. And here at the Vineyard, we have a universe of about 450 people. By the way, Vineyard people never come every Sunday. It's just not who we are. we got too much to do. I'm not even beating that up, by the way. I think that's kind of cool. All right? Yeah. I'm totally, I'm to- to- like, going somewhere else on the weekend, completely sanctioned. Praise Him. Yeah. Completely sanctioned. So you, you, your church has this universe. It's like the, you know, here. Like, it's like the 450 people who might sometimes show up in some weird combination. And then within that universe, you have the 220 to 250 who show up on a Sunday morning. You know, and it's comprised of the universe. And then within that, within that group, you have, at least here at the vineyard, you have like the 80 who is the unchanging core who's been here basically from the very beginning and whose energies have created everything that you see along with God. Okay? And within that 80... There's a vibe here at the vineyard. And it's beginning to work out further. And one of the vibes here at the vineyard is just radical generosity. In fact, we've got a little banner over there. You can look at it. Pick a picture of it on your iPhone. But it's part of the family vibe. And here's what I mean by radical generosity. It includes, it includes things like money, but it's, it's more than money because it's a generous spirit that says that everything I have isn't because I was big, strong, and the best planner, and the most put together, but everything I have is because God's been good to me and at least, within that, at least within the core of our church, there's been a generous spirit that says, I can't hang on to everything. I've got to turn it loose. 
And I can tell you by experience that the more we turn it loose, the more he is faithful and gracious to give. It's the craziest thing. I don't understand it. Here's the deal. Some of us in the room are in desperate need of healing, and the only thing that's going to heal you is to step out and begin to heal others. Now, how weird is that? You're like, I'm, I, some of us have lived with an awareness that I'm really broken in some areas, and one of the things, because the kingdom is just so upside down, one of the things that will happen is, the Lord says, I'll heal you while you're in the process of being a healer. Because the other, the other side of that is it's so self-defeating and it takes us out of the game, which is, which is a sure sign it's a demonic thought. This concept that I have to get all my stuff put together just right, just arranged, just perfectly in order to be useful to the kingdom. It's just not the way it works. Amen? Amen. And when it comes to having just a generous spirit, radical generosity, this is the other thing I've noticed. I've noticed that the ones who give the most, they become a key part of the most. I hope you can follow that, because it makes perfect sense in my brain. I realize it's a little abstract, but the people who give the most are the people who, are, uh, who become a key part of the most. Like uh, having a generous spirit... When, when we become the kind of people who are willing to invest in other people's lives, like to the point that we, we give up some of our own energies, one of the things that happens as a natural byproduct is, is that we become a part of whatever they become. Like a significant part of whatever they become. I've seen this over and over in like disciple making and being discipled. You, you become a part. It's like we become executive producers of their record, you know? That only makes sense to about eight people in here. <laughs> Just realized that. Dang it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just like on a personal level, like the most, important, um, the most important father and disciple I've ever had in my life is Ray Hollenbach. So whatever I've become, Ray is always going to be connected to that. And I'm radically aware of it. Like whatever, whatever Jesus does through my ministry, it will always, always, always be a part of Ray Hollenbach. And he'll get, he's going to actually end up getting credit for it. He's in the story and you can't remove him from it. And it's not just that, but it's in your own life. Like the people who've invested and said yes and took risk and like picked you up and cleaned you up and said yes and took risk and all that over and over again with you, they, they actually, by being generous to you and giving away what they have, you know, in, in, in this world, when you give it away, it's like gone. But in the kingdom of heaven, everything you give away actually comes back to you. And you become entrenched and, and a, a significant key part of it forever. Yeah. So the gospel of the kingdom isn't something that primarily happens to me. It's something that moves through me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? If you're new here, we have a ministry team. Uh, these are people who have been trained in... Hearing the Lord and praying for the sick and all.